Father, we um, acknowledge that um, we daily, moment by moment, second by second, minute by minute, are in desperate need of you, in desperate need of your mind, in desperate need of your patience, um, in desperate need of the gospel. Lord God, and so as we come here and get into your word and want to be soundly driven by your mind, Lord, I just pray, we just pray together as your people that you would let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Living God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. 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 Shout out to our ladies who uh, have gone on the women's retreat. Um, they'll be back this afternoon around 2.30, so we want to continue to pray for them as they are, are traveling back here today with us. Um, thank you all for gathering with us today. We want to make sure that you make a note of next week that um, next week w there will be a 10 o'clock gathering of the saints and there will be an 1145 gathering of the saints so don't forget um set your clocks treat it like treat it like uh daylight savings time uh treat it like that so that we can make sure that we come in and gather together especially those who are going to be at our 10 o'clock gathering um because uh we have to make sure that we are done and finished so that we can transition out and free up some parking spaces for those who do not walk but commute so don't forget that. Uh, what time is next week? And, what, and what's the other time? Amen. Is that sharp? Or is that CP? <laughs> I remember I went to this, uh, I had an engagement like 10 years ago uh, at an at a, at a, um, Asian church. And man, I, I got to the, to the spot. And you know, he's waiting for some of his folk to get there. My Asian brother, man. And he said, man, always on CP time. I said, what you say? I said, I know we brothers, but you wilding right now. You ain't got the right to be using CP. He said, what do you mean, brother? I said, brother, the colored people time. He said, no, silly, Chinese people time. I repented in sackcloth and ashes, and we had the best laugh of the century. So, uh, so it was so funny, but let's try to, so all that to say, let's try to be sharp with our time and our gathering. Oh, we got a couple seats. If you, if, you, if you have a seat beside you that's empty, can you lift your hand up? We got some right here, some right here. So if you're on the wall, if you could, if you could take a seat. If you're up in the balcony, need a seat um, down here. We got some seats down here. We got any two together? Two together, just two together, flat out. There you go, Pops. Then we got, that's it? Anybody else? That's it? Okay, we cool. Perfect. All right. We're still in our series on um, Ephesians. Um, we have been going through this idea of Paul communicating to us, who am I? Say, who am I? Yeah, that, that, is, that is a question that no one should go through life not having an answer to. Now, if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, 
uh, uh, that identity should in some way, shape, or form be clear. However, we should be progressively, as we progressively um, get to know God the Father through our relationship with Jesus Christ, there should be a progressive growth in our understanding of, uh, of, of, of who Jesus Christ is because his goal was to explain who God is. That's his goal. And as he explains who God is, based on John 1, 18, that he progressively reveals that to Christians. Since he progressively reveals that to us, we should, since he, God wants us conformed to Jesus Christ's image, Romans chapter 1, verse 29, that is an idea that happens over and over and over again during life, where as we get to know him and as we look more like him, guess what happens? We learn more about ourselves. And so as we go through Ephesians, we're in the latter part of chapter 1. We are going to finish chapter 1 today in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to finish it. Um, and then next week we'll be in chapter 2 finally. And um, I'm really excited about this. And we're going to finish up kind of the idea that we were working through last week. And we remembered, if you remember the entire pericope that we're in from verses 15 um, to verses 23, Paul entered a prayer. And in Paul entering into prayer for the Ephesian believers, his prayer was for them to have spiritual depth and intimacy in their relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Then as we, then as we uh, slid from chapter, uh, verse 15 of chapter 1 to verse 20 of chapter 1, when we got to verse 21, if you remember, we got, he began talking about what God did in Christ and how he utilizes Christ and how he exalts Christ and how Christ, like we talked about last time, is the power source of the new identity. So, so Jesus Christ did this whole new idea of who we are. Like a lot of people, I hear them on TV all the time, say, they say, repeat after me, I am the righteousness of God. And everybody says, I am the righteousness of God. And they tuck their Bible under their arm. And what will begin to happen is, which I think we need to make announcements as Christians. However, we are not anything that we are. First off, we're not the righteousness of God. I'll explain that later. Um, but but, but what's, what was very important is we don't take pride in whatever God has made us into. We worship the one who made us into what we are as people who are new. So, so, so what we're celebrating here, this is a celebration not of our birthday spiritually. This is not, this text is not, listen, a celebration of who we are in our liberation. But this is a, this is, Paul, Paul pauses multiple times during the books to doxologically bless and honor God the Father's work in Christ. And so he's the power source of our new identity. So we, we went through a whole bunch of meaty stuff the last time. And I'm sorry, but we got a little bit more to go. And in verse 20. Two, he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We saw last time, as Jesus Christ being the power source of our identity, we saw first, and this was our major point, 
that Christ is the central beneficiary of God the Father's power. He's the central power source of how God expresses his power. We saw that in verses 20 through 21, the latter part of the verse. And some subpoints under that was, it's seen in Christ's vindication at his resurrection. Number two, we saw that it is seen in Christ's exaltation as messianic ruler of the universe. That was verse 20b and verse 21. Now this week, we come to our third subpoint under this section. We have two, this, this one and one more to go. Uh, in, in relation to the power source of our identity being found in Christ, Jesus being that, it is next, number three, is seen in Jesus as the anointed and true Adamic victor. Let me say that again. It, it, it's seen in Jesus Christ as the anointed and true Adamic victor. Say Adamic victor. Right here in verse, verse 22, it's a, it is a beautiful, beautiful anthology of who our Savior is. I was talking to a group of people last night um, in, uh, in, in uh, Scott's something, Jersey, way up North Jersey. I can't remember what it was. But as I was up there, I was, they were, they, they, the name of their conference was Thirst. And one of the things that I talked to them about in relation to thirsting is I said, you, it, you, you, you have to become a kingdom connoisseur or you'll eat anything. And so in order for you to know how to taste the right things, uh, uh, you have to know what to look for when you're trying to taste that particular thing. For instance, like I was telling them last night, um, they, they, my wife calls me a coffee connoisseur. All right? It's meaning that I, I can't drink Wawa coffee. I'm sorry. That's going to have to do with the text. You're going to see. I can't, I'm sorry, Duncan. I can't do you, right? Now, I'm not mad at you, right? But see, when, see for me, drinking coffee is a, an event. You understand? Because, see, when, 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 I, when I grab a hold of my coffee cup and it's in there, what I do first, see, it can't be too hot and it can't be lukewarm at all. And if it's lukewarm, shut it down. Iced coffee and all of that, that's for wimps. I like mine. And if you, if you use cream, you're a wimp, okay? All right, so I'm sorry. So what I do is, is, is the, 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 the smoke comes up out of that joint like this. And what I do is my nose, like in the cartoons, catch one of them, them whoops. And I pull it back like this. And I stand back from it. And I enjoy the aroma almost to the point where once, I, listen, I just begin to meditate on the notes that are in the cavities of the smoke. Then once I've done that and, I, and, and it's hit my right and left side, of my right brain says, mm, I love that. Left side says, oh, this is this and this and this. Like I'll talk on. And then what I do is I take a little sip and I, then I, I pull back again. See, you can't, you can't get all and you got to... Real quick, right? And so what I do is I let it roll across my tongue and every, uh, every area of my tongue begins to interpret the flavors that are in it. Now, one of my favorite coffees is Ethiopian Sadamo because it has a floral aroma and it has a lemony background with a little bit of bitterness on the back end of the flavor of the coffee. But, but you got to understand, you got to understand that I'm funny about my coffee now. If the coffee smells like halitosis, then if I drink it, guess what my breath is going to smell like, right? So I'm funny about my coffee that I drink. But I'm saying that to say is that 
reason why we spend so much time in theology is so that you won't drink or eat just anything. Because what happens is, is you can't, you, 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 you have to know your God. And in knowing him, you develop greater and more rich affections for him, fam. And as those affections for him increase, as those desires increase, you, you're, being, you, you're showing that you look more like him. Now that you realize that the that's why we're spending so much time in this power source idea. So right here, as we see, Jesus Christ as the true and anointed Adamic victor, in verse 22 it says, He put, that is the Father, put all things under his feet. Now backtrack in order for us to, uh, to, uh, to, for us to uh, be able to really enjoy what he's about to help us to taste. He says, far above all rule and authority, verse 21, and power and dominion and far above every name that is named not only in this age but the age to come so what God the Father has done is he so exalted Christ he so centered everything on Christ that there is no authority that exists that has a name of meaning or without meaning that can trump the place that he seeks now, right here, he's not necessarily talking about the name of Jesus right here. That's Philippians 2. Right here, he's talking about the place of Jesus. It can include the name of Jesus, but it's saying there is no name that's greater than his place in creation or creation seen and creation unseen. Okay? So now it says, and it's just pushing on the same idea, which is beautiful. And it says he put all things under his feet. I like this. Because this points to a multitude of things. Now let's look at this idea of he put. Now put here, you would just mostly, you would usually run past this word. But this word is actually a word that is going to pervade the entire book of Ephesians. One of the, this, this word, when I, when I tell you what it is, it's going to be the central main verbal theme of the entire chapter of chapter 5. It's the word hupatasso. Say hupatasso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in class right now. Hupatasso one more time. One more time for the spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hupatasso. This is the word that means submit. Today that is a kingdom curse word for most people because no one likes submission. But what's beautiful about what God the Father, Paul is communicating by way of God the Father through the Spirit about Christ is that God the Father caused everything seen and unseen to be put under the feet of Jesus positionally and partially practically but not fully. Okay? You're with me still, right? And, 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 so, and so this word, hupatasso, I must explain what I just said. I know y'all looking at me. It, it means to order one's self under a leader. It means to order one's self under a leader. To cause to be submissive in relationship and in subordination to that particular leader or leaders. And here in this context, it's talking about the fact that God the Father has called for all creation to be submissive to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is very important for us. There's no people have this idea of lordship salvation. You have to make Jesus your Lord. I, I understand what you mean by that, but the Bible never tells us to make Jesus Lord. Never. It'll say in 1 Peter 3.15, set him aside as Lord in your hearts. But we don't have the authority to make him Lord because only God the Father had the authority to make him Lord. So he's Lord whether you like it or not. He, he's, 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 he's positionally Lord. And no matter how angry you get at him, he's practically Lord. So even if you don't acknowledge his Lordship, and you want to do what you want to do, he still runs every piece of creation. And so whatever you're using to run away from him, he can call what you're using as a tool to run away from him at, through his lordship to serve him to make you look at him. <laughs> you thought you was running, right? I'm get out of here. Wow. Where you going to go? Where you going to go? I mean, you trying to, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going in a dressing room. Well, God said, I made the mirror. I made the, I made the wood. On the, I'm going to get in my car and just drive. I remember when our first, I, I remember I, in 1994, I was in my car smoking some alien smokes. I lit it up in my car, and I was in my wife's, my wife's, uh, before we got married, I was in the parking lot of her dorm. And... I put on this song by commission called Running Back to You. Now, I didn't even know it was going to be. I, now, her best friend made a seat tape for me because they were stalking me in relation to God, me trusting Jesus and walking with Jesus Christ. And they know I was running. And everybody on the campus, you know, I would go somewhere they prophesied. He got a call on his life in mighty. We're going to pray. And I hate it when people would tell me I had a call on my life. So I, I got me some drugs and I was going to listen. I put the, I'm telling y'all what happened. I put the joint in my mouth, lit it, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to listen to me some music. I didn't know what was on the CD, right? And then a tape. I forgot it was a tape back then. My bad. My car had a tape. You're going to tell on me, ain't you? It was a tape. It wasn't an A-track, though. So <clears throat> I put it in, and I took me a hit. I said, then I held it. And I was like, yeah, that's good. I had the windows rolled up. And, man, I, I, the high started hitting me. Then the music came on. How can you? Forgive me. And I'm like, what's happened? I'm trying to get high. I'm looking for Bob Marley. I'm looking for, you know, some Funkadelics. And then this dude starts, when I've often gone astray. I'm like, what? What is this? Now, I'm high as a kite. I mean, I'm what you call nice than a mug at this point. When the, when the CD was off, I'm telling, I mean the tape. Um, when it was on... Soon as the music came on, my high went kakatoko. It went down. In other words, God removed the high from me. Now, you don't understand. High as I was, it was impossible for that high. To, I was nice. And, I, and I, I was high, so I started trying to drive off. Like I was going to run from the presence of God. But little did I know is what was used to make those drugs God created. The car that I was in, God created, and the body that I was using to get high off of this narcotic, God had created. And so Jesus Christ, Lordship, my, my, the drugs that I was on, the drugs that I was addicted to, wasn't Lord enough and a safe enough place and powerful enough to make me run away from Jesus. Jesus, his Lordship, can cause you 
wherever you are, whatever you're running from, to be, to be, to be cut off and shut down so you can acknowledge his lordship. I'm a living witness of it. So when it says he put all things under his feet, that's everything, fam. So that means <coughs> that we can't steal from Jesus his creation that is rightfully his to use how he wants. <laughs> and so this idea of walking in our identity, you know you're walking in your identity when you're content in your identity in Christ, when you have clarity from God on your role in the kingdom and your voluntary submission to who, when, and where God is without complaint. Again, this idea of hupatasso means to fall in line with your ordained role in Christ. Okay? That means understanding who God made you to be and you understanding and walking in that idea. So this is beautiful. So it says he put everything under his feet. Now this points back to Psalm. It's two Psalms. It points back to Psalm 110, 1, and it points back to Psalm 8, verse 6. Psalm 110.1 says, my, my Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool to your feet. My Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I have made your enemies a footstool to your feet. So what it's saying is that that's a point to the fact that there's plurality in the Godhead in the Old Testament. And so what, 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 the, what the father was saying to the son at his right hand, Yahweh said to Adonai, only words that are designated for God. Adon is for men, Adonai is for God. Now, when he says, sit at my right hand till I do it, however, progressive revelation shows us, and Psalm 8, 6 shows us, which we're going to look at, shows us is that God the Father through Christ is the one who subjects the enemy to himself but how can Jesus be sitting down at his right hand, but God the Father is making it happen, yet Jesus Christ is the one that's actually the hands and feet of the Godhead to make the practical submission of all creation to his authority happen. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. So I, that's how smooth Jesus is. Jesus can be sitting down fighting. Did you hear what I said? Now, okay, let me see if I can make it plain. I like watching Jackie Chan in movies. Jackie Chan uses everything around him to fight. He'll use a ladder. He'll flip it around a dude's arm and then, you know, kick him in the ribs and all that. I remember one time he was fighting sitting down. I liked the way. And he was doing all this movement and doing all this crazy stuff. And he flipped, the flipped with him still sitting in the chair and then blocked and hit the dude and all of that. Jesus not moving. Jesus just sitting at the right hand of God the Father, powerfully defending, interceding, and subjugating all everything in the earth to his authority. Now, although God the Father is preeminent in the Godhead, he has given Jesus authority that transcended the known nature of his pre-incarnated and pre-existent role. That means before Jesus Christ came in the incarnation um, as, the eternal, uh, as, the, as the eternal son of God, 
Jesus Christ, we, we t- I told you we touched on it last time. Now I'm going to begin to explain this. How Jesus Christ now has been handed over specific roles without the Godhead changing in its nature that he didn't previously have. Okay? That, that's when he handed this idea over. So look at Psalm 8.6. Psalm 8.6 says, you have given him. That means he, he didn't have something that he had. Some, he got something that he didn't have before. Okay? You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. I like that. You have put all things, say all things, under his feet. So, in the original context, this was spoken of, this is pretty right here, right? This is spoken of of humans in the original context uh, uh, as God's vice regents of Yahweh to rule physical creation. So it points back, and you'll see in Hebrews uh, 2, where it points back uh, to the Psalms where it said you've made him a little lower than the angels, right? Let's stay right here. Talking about man, but it really points forward to Jesus. Now, what's beautiful about this is that Adam originally was supposed to rule creation. He was originally, he and his wife were supposed to subdue creation, rule creation. Now, they were supposed to rule physical creation, not spiritual creation. They were supposed to rule physical creation, right? And so the first Adam lost control over physical creation when he submitted to his wife and was passive in his role as a husband and active in his submission to his wife. So he was submissive to the wrong authority. Ah, we'll get to that when we go to chapter 5. It says, although the first Adam failed at his mission that he was sent on from God, the second Adam, Lord Yahshua, succeeded and was given control that the first Adam lost. <laughs> so, 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 so now he already had control as a deity, a part of the Godhead, right? However, as a human, Jesus Christ resecured control of all creation. Now, he has control not only over physical creation, but guess what? Spiritual creation. Wow. So now Jesus Christ functionally as the eternal God-man in eternal hypostasis. That means, I was like, hypo. Two natures, one person, nature's not mixing, one person eternally forever. His humanity doesn't mix with his deity. His deity doesn't mix with his humanity. Yet he's distinctly human, 100. He's distinctly God, 100. United together without mixture, but only one person. (laughs) And he rules in that one person over both spiritual and physical creation. You still working with me right now? So Jesus Christ now is announced by God as ruler of everything. He's announced in this text as God putting all things under his feet. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5 says, Now it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care about him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. 
putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he has left nothing outside of his control, talking about Jesus. At present, we do not, I love this, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That's key. That answers what I was talking about earlier. Y'all still hanging with me? It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of what? The suffering of death. So Jesus Christ is the only one that, that earned anything from the Father. <laughs> he's the only one that has bragging rights in heaven. Because he's the only one that earned something from God and lived to tell about it. And then it says, so that the purpose of this, text says, that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everybody. So Jesus was a death connoisseur. And sipped it and tasted it for all of us so that we wouldn't have to taste death. Because of that, God allowed him to earn what no man could ever earn and what man had lost. That's why in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Satan tried to offer Jesus on a natural level what God was giving him on an eternal level. I'll get there one day. I want to go there so bad, but we got to move. So, the eternality of his roles as the Son of God, based on this verse... The functions performed by the Son stretch from creation to restoration of creation. The Son is sent to perform these functions by the Father. At creation, Jesus served as the divine agent of creation. He is the one through whom the universe is made, John 1.3, Colossians 1.16, and he sustains it, Colossians 1.18. Jesus who became the divine agent of redemption, Romans 8. Verse 3 through 4, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Finally, he will function as the divine agent of God to restore creation and to return it to the hands of the Father. Real quick, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, I'll read it, you don't have to turn there, clearly indicates that Jesus will renew his uh, voluntary submission, uh, subordination to the Father after returning to put everything under the Father's feet. It says, when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him. So, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who God the Father said, listen, I'm going to allow you to be the front man for the Trinity until after uh, you set up the kingdom. Once you're the front man and you deal with all of my enemies, then what I want you to do is I want you to reappoint me king of all creation all over again. Now, how does Jesus have the ability to do that even though he's subordinate to the Father? Well, you got to go back to the Old Testament. Who appointed kings in the Old Testament? Prophets. What did they do? They anointed, when, David, uh, when Samuel went down to the house of Jesse, he poured oil over David's head and anointed him king of Israel and the Holy Spirit came upon him mightily. Same with Saul, same with, uh, same, same with uh, Solomon. Now, when Jesus got baptized in Matthew chapter 3, who anointed him king when he got baptized? And what happened when he got baptized? Well, John the Baptist anointed him messianic king 
physically by baptizing him. He didn't pour oil on him, but he baptized him. When he came up out of the water, what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him. When God the Father's tabernacle is among men, y'all got to stay with me on this joint right here. In chapter 21 of Revelation, God the Son as both king, priest, and prophet will as prophet re-anoint the Father as king over all creation and appoint the Father and give. He says, matter of fact, I'm going to give you the crown you gave me, but you're big. You're, you're, I'm going to, oh my God, I'm going to anoint you and replace your, you with me, me with you, and then I'm going to rule under you on the throne of David forever. This is powerful stuff. And so, so this is the power source of our identity. The beauty and the humility in the Godhead is striking and phenomenal. Second point, I got, I got a lot to go through, but I'm going to get to the second point now. Because we got to move. Next and finally, it's seen most clearly... In the ambassadorial part of his kingdom called the church. It's seen, what's most seen? Power source of identity is most clearly seen in the ambassadorial part of the kingdom called the church. Look at, look at what it says right here. It says, and, all, and he put all things under his feet and gave him head as head over all things in the church. Let's stop there. We'll deal with verse 23 in a second. So here it, it begins to point to something in particular, something beautiful, and it points to the headship of Christ. Say kafale. Kafale. You can say it a little louder. Kafale. Yeah, that's the word for head here. Now what's interesting is, is this will be the word that will be used again in Ephesians chapter 5 to point to something um, practical, but something also much larger in relation to the church and in relation to a husband's role in his relationship with a wife. So this is the first time this idea comes up in the book of Ephesians for us. It's talking about he appointed him, he, he put all things under his feet, but he appointed him as head to the church. Now that's key. Because it's talking about now the uniqueness of Christ to the church and the uniqueness of the church to Christ. Now, remember last time we talked about the, king, the church is not the kingdom. Remember that? The kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over all creation, seen and unseen. Now listen, y'all got to stay with me because all this is a building block for the weeks to come. And so he, he, he has comprehensive rule over all creation. But now he begins to point out the uniqueness, though, of Christ's relationship to the church in the midst of the kingdom. Okay? So he has a unique, he, has, he, he oversees, he rules, he judges everything. However, when it comes to the church, the church, not the buildings, not the structures, not the sound system, not the microphone, but the redeemed group of people in John 10 calls the sheepfold, he has a unique relationship with that group of people that he does not have with the rest of creation. Rest of creation relates to him as ruler but not head. We'll understand that in a second. Now, head means primary. It means preeminence here or central place. So here it's speaking of Christocentrism. It is speaking of the central place of Jesus Christ 
in everything but specifically in the church where Jesus is practically central. Remember Hebrews 2, 5 through 7. It said that everything hasn't been subjugated to him. However, this is very important here because he's given them head over all things <coughs> to the church. So let me explain to you who's not head in a church. Pastors are not heads in a church. Not your favorite artists. Not the musical worship style. Not your friends. Not the children's ministry preferences. Not bylaws. Not congregation. Not preferential theological niches. But Jesus is central. Listen, get that. Listen, get that. Now, there's orders of authority within the church. However, no authority, no matter how high in authority they are, should be central in the church. If the entire worship gathering of a congregation that you go through is about the pastor or the leader or the bishop or the overseer, they are not functioning based on this idea in this passage. Because here in this passage, he is head over all things. And listen to what it says. Not in the church, but to the church. That has to do with the church. Um, 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 so even though they are leaders within the church, Christ must be given central place. And he must be the true board member of everything that we do in the church. So church is not about us. It's not about us being consumers. I get what I want from here. That's not what it's about. But it's about us functioning as body parts to a head. Submissive to his leadership, submissive to his authority, and understanding that he should be the big baller and the big shot caller in the local community. So it's interesting here, and it says, he's head over all things to the church. Then it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all of this and all. Now let's go back to a key, a key verb. It says, and he gave him as head. This is cool right here. He gave him as head. I like this. Now, 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 this word here means to gift someone something. Now, when you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it'll say, and when Jesus Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. And he gave them as apostles, he gave them as prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, so forth and so on. And some people call those the fivefold ministry, whatever. The main point of that is the gifts themselves aren't the gift, it's the people holding the gifts, okay? So those are not spiritual gifts, those are people gifts. We'll get there in a few weeks. So what it's saying is Jesus Christ gives people gifts to the local church. God the Father gives Jesus as the gift to the church. <laughs> so, 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 the great, so, so Jesus Christ is a person gift, not a stuff gift. Are you recognizing what I'm saying? In, in, other, in other words, it's a personality and goes back to this idea in verse 15 through 17 about intimacy. That God has given us a person to serve, not an idea to serve. Jesus Christ isn't a good idea. He's not a good prophet. He's not a guy worthy of just some admiration as my Islamic friends say. He's head He's leader, he's ruler, and he's God. And so what does this have to do with our identity? 
Because it says, which is his body? In, in verse 23, it says, which is his body? The fullness of him who, who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. I like this because now it points to our identity as this. Is that the church, no matter how many struggles we have, no matter how many frustrations and how much church hurt you have, let me tell you something. God is using the church uniquely in creation to represent him. That's what he's saying here. That, that, that God uses the church uniquely in, 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 the, in the grand scope of the kingdom. Remember, the kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over all creation, seen and unseen. The church is really the only part of creation that has been redeemed in some sense to be able to properly represent the new order that's coming when Christ returns. Therefore, there is a requirement for us. There is a requirement as the church, not as me as a merely an individual, but as a gathered and scattered community that we fight with his power to properly represent him and to be an outpost to show people what every sector of the kingdom should look like when it submits to Jesus as head. That, that's when, whether you're at work, people should watch you as a scattered member of the church and the way you work, the way you lead, the way you love, and the way you come to work on time. It got real silent up in this joint. That I'm not doing this just be, to keep my job. I'm not necessarily just doing this for the pay. I'm doing this because I represent an alien king. And I'm a part of the redeemed part of his creation who's actually in a relationship with him. Therefore, the reason why I'm doing this is so that you can look at the church under his headship and learn something. I know stuff, this scandal on CNN and all of that. Don't get it twisted. The church is still God's agent. And therefore... We, we must be passionate to see Christ formed in us. To be that example that the world can look at. Even in... Even in how we repent, even in how we challenge, even in how we love one another, even in how we talk to people, even in how we treat our wife, even in how we treat our children, our husbands, even in how we treat children, even in how we, we, we speak to people, speak to people. <laughs> even in how we engage people, see needs that can be met, and care for people. In every single way, we're showing off the glory of Christ. Our desire as a community is to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. But what's beautiful about this passage is we are not doing it by our own power. He's the source. Jesus Christ is the power source of us doing this. So he isn't expecting us to be or do anything. In how you do your schoolwork, student, how is Christ being seen as king? 
in everything in your life, in our life, how were you allowing Jesus to resource your spiritual life? This is very, very important for us to understand as we bring chapter 1 to a close, is that here is the place that in, in, in the grandscape of whether it's government, whether it's different departmental agencies, the White House, whatever, those are parts of God's kingdom, all which are totally unredeemed. But the fact that Christ has bought us with his blood, there should be something distinct and unique about us. So I charge us in the name of Jesus, your identity is to walk distinctively. That's your identity, girlfriend. That's your identity, bruh. Your identity in Christ is to walk in the distinction. Not creating, not being an innovator, but walking after the one who already innovated on our behalf. And so I pray that God would allow us to be saturated, saturated and, 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 and passionately pursuing this one who's the head over everything. And that we would walk with him passionately. And that we would, we would be driven to consistency in our intimacy with him. And that he would progressively allow us to look more and more and more and more and more like him. And use every last one of his means of grace as a tool of the kingdom to say, God, I want to make your name great in the world. That's why God told David, you have given my enemies... An occasion to blaspheme. Why? Because there's distinctiveness expected of us as a community. And with that distinctiveness, we're distinct, we're supposed to be distinct in everything we do. Even when we even when we make mistakes, we should be distinct in how we repent. Even when we disagree with someone, we should be distinct in our disagreement. It should be admirable. It should be mimicable. It should be copable. Even in your courtship, how is Jesus' lordship in your courtship? Everything. I want you to see everything. And don't let anything in creation tell you, or anyone in creation, tell you anything differently. You were, you were born to be distinct. But being distinct is not making something new it's living and reflecting the one that bought you, and that automatically makes you a novelty. Good Christianity should not be a novelty of a particular group of Christians. It's, we're all supposed to be a novelty within the scope of the kingdom. So I pray in Jesus' name that we get that and that we walk in that and pursue God in that. Father, we thank you in Christ that you have made us into who we are.